Fragments of silicon. Fragments of- now, now with only about 20% fragments, but 30% more silicon. And we don't have music right, folks, because no many music. fans' internet sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to another installment of uh, Fragments of Silicon, your weekly vertical slice of gaming goodness and geek culture. Yeah, so it's another one of those weeks where we don't have... Well, it's not so much that we don't have music, it's that we don't have the ability to play the music this week because Petty Pan is on his phone. So he's probably going to be kind of garbly this week. You know, uh, it's unfortunate. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's not your fault. You're not the one who established the data caps, now are you? Badly. Yeah. But, you know, we've soldiered on without the music uh, beforehand. And we shall do so again. We've always done worse. Oh, my God, a meteor. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, it, it, it's harder to do our cues when we don't have the music. <laughs> Should I hang up the call now? Over. It's been 20 minutes. Just fucking end it. All right. So, but anyway, uh, how's everyone doing tonight? Other than the obvious me going through internet withdrawal. Aside from that, Teddy fan, I guess we'll start with you. Um, I've been playing Smash Brothers because I can't use the internet. Because Funlink are a bunch of assholes. Can you use the internet for Smash Brothers, or are you just playing against the computer and or family? Playing against the computer. Well, we have like less than 15 gigs of internet we can use left this month. Well, you only have a few days left. Yeah. Thank God February's short. <laughs> also, I got a new headset, which you all won't be able to hear until next week. <laughs> oh, Karma is a bastard. Indeed. And, uh, well, anything else going on, or...? Um, no. Hmm. All right, uh, Ogre, what about you? What's going on with you this week? Well, it looks like the snow is going to go away, but apparently it's supposed to come back overnight. All right. So, woo. <laughs> Other than that, I got a new couple of games to play through. I got I picked up Pokemon Alpha Sapphire because, well, Lenny wanted to get Omega Ruby and... I guess I got the other one, so... Oh, don't you usually get the other one with Naka? Uh, I, I mean, this is Naka we're talking about here. <laughs> not exactly the best, the biggest Pokemon fan. <laughs> this is true. Plus, Naka's reliability ratings aren't the highest, now are they? Mm, not exactly that. I just don't want to really get him something that he's not really going to play a lot. That's also a, a fair assessment. And I finally got Majora's Mask. Uh, knew that was time. Yay. Yay. So I can finally w- stop watching that video series. <laughs> and Final Fantasy XIV brought the gold saucer, so now everything's fucked up. Because I got three, two games I want to play, and the gold saucer's here with fucking Triple Triad, and it's like, ah. Uh, why were we doing this a week ago when I had no choices? Now I have all choices. Hmm. And let's play wise. Uh, cooking cream's almost over. Mm-hmm. Found out that bonus world actually just opens up after you beat the game. And you were saying like Naka apparently didn't believe that it was a thing. I, I don't think he doubted it. He just kind of didn't know about the whole thing. Alternately, was in denial about there being more of the game to do that would potentially possibly be harder than Magic World. Well, you have to keep in mind, Cookie and Cream is not exactly, like, a big game, so you can't really find too much information about it that's at least reliable. Because, I mean, we've seen the... There's a video out there about Bonus World, but nobody said how it opens up, so we didn't know. Indeed. Well, I'm sure it might have 
it, was, it probably showed up in one of the other videos. Yeah. It's just... But... Yeah. But, uh, so, and he's uploading Guardians Crusade. Yeah. Which is the RPG he's been wanting to do for a while, so that means we go to a three-video rotation for a while. Yeah. And uh, before you ask, no, we don't know what the other game is. I, I'm pretty sure he's told me, but I forgot because I was more fascinated about Guardians Crusade than the other one. And it's kind of interesting. Guardians Crusade looks, on one hand, parts of it look incredibly generic, but on the other hand, it has a lot of really unique things. I like its genericness because it feels it. It's something about it just feels nostalgic. Like you just go back and be like, yeah, this is what we used to do when we were kids, and it was summertime. We just haul up in our rooms and go like, "Fuck you, son! I don't care for your heat." <laughs> Indeed, and uh, uh, Galax, uh, what about you? Uh, well, it's uh, been incredibly cold uh, for the last week or so. Uh, but there hasn't been any snow except for like maybe an inch last night, so I'll take the cold because you don't have to shovel cold. Um, <laughs> amiibos tend to or continue to be a pain in the ass. Basically, I went to GameStop today and asked if they had any idea when they were getting them in, and they said, well, if you hadn't pre-ordered them by like weeks ago, maybe you can get the one, latest release ones if we get a second wave sometime in May, April, May. So uh, I was so pissed off about that that I didn't even bother asking when I could pre-order the next batch because I heard him over, overheard him saying that they <clears throat> the next batch isn't even open for pre-orders yet. So I don't know. But I managed to get the Sheik and a Toon Link, so I don't know. Maybe I'll be able to get a Daisy Day eventually. I don't know. It's kind of a pain. Mm. Right. And, well, let's see. A lot of stuff been going on he- here at the home office. I mean, a lot of stuff do- uh, going on with the show. Uh, let's see. If you've been following uh, us on the social media, then you might know that we're... Uh, this week begins our a kind of an unprecedented uh, giveaway for this program. Our friends at Night Dive Studios have given us a bunch of codes, and we put together a thing called the... Uh, Night Dive Studios Grand Class Giveaway. So how this works is I've got five codes of four of their games. And over the next month, we're going to be giving away uh, these five games in various ways. Like uh, one, of the, one of the codes will be showing up in the chat room at an indeterminate time in this broadcast. One of them shall be read out in order to give the listeners at home a chance to participate as well you know, at different intervals. So, for example, uh, you might want to write down these following letters. MQ6VK. That is the first part of the code I have here for System Shock 2. And, yes, this week we are giving away the seminal uh, cult sci-fi classic System Shock 2. It's like, uh, uh, let's see. We've got one prepared for the post-show, one prepared for Twitter tomorrow. Uh, I'll have details on that tomorrow, so be sure to follow. And one for the Steam, uh, for the Fragments of Silicon Steam group. Petty Fan, why don't you give people details on that one? Okay, I just posted an announcement in it in the actual Steam group itself, but basically I'm going to do it really easy this week. There's a new topic in the discussion section of under general that just says, um, let me pull it up, what have you been playing this week giveaway? All you have to do is post something in that topic, and you'll be entered to win. Okay. I'll put all of them through a num- random number generator next week before the show, and the winner will be contacted through Steam. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, this is, our, this is kind of our first time running a, we've given out codes before, but never like on this magnitude. So we're kind of experimenting to see the best way to give our audience a chance to get a code. So it may change up from week to week. It may depend on how many people turn up. There, you know, there's like not many people in the chat room right now. Not that it hasn't put up the promo yet. You know, but, but anyway, so that's going on. Also, we're going to be recording two special review episodes in the near future. 
Uh, one is over Oddworld, new and tasty, because I just got a code for that, and we kind of need to follow up on that. And one for Strife, Veterans Edition, that's going to be at the end of this promotion. That, that's our game for week four. So, uh, Also, one thing about Strife, uh-huh. next week on Friday, March 6th, after Naka is done streaming, I will start to stream some of Strife on my personal Twitch account. All right. And, and in the case of Strife, we all have the game except for the Gauls because he doesn't have a Steam account. Sorry. Yeah. And Naka might join us for that because I gave him a code. I don't know. You know, keep listening in the intervening weeks for more details. But, and that will about do it for the news for this week. And merrily we roll along to the interview portion. And this week, I'm pleased to uh, welcome to the program, all the way from Melbourne, uh, Australia, Tom Crago of Straight Right and Tantala Software. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, it's going good. It's going good. All right, so the first question I have is, how hot is it down there? It's hot. It's summer. So I, I, don't, I don't speak American temperature, but it's... 30 degrees Celsius here today, and the sun's shining. Can you can you translate that into Fahrenheit? It's around 90. Yeah. Yeah, sounds all right. Yeah, it's right. not bad for summer. Yeah. Uh, well, it does get ridiculously hot here at times. I, and February is when it tends to, to go crazy, but we've been lucky so far. Nothing nothing too ridiculous. I've been to Australia. I've, I've encountered your 40-degree summers. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know you know when that, that hits you, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun. Uh-huh. No, yeah, it was just mostly a curious question because we've had really record lows around here lately. We've been wondering if you've been hitting record highs or something. No, and and luckily here, no no crazy uh, fires, forest fires either, which tend to be the bane of our summers here in Australia. But you guys need to you need to warm things up over there because I'm coming to America. Uh, on Sunday, I'm, I'm going to go to GDC, so I'm sure San, San Francisco will be all right. But I'm, I'm going to New York the following week, and uh, while the snow is pretty, I would rather uh, there was uh, well a, a bit of a defrost. I'll see what I can do, but I can't make Thank any you. big promises. <laughs> Just be glad you're not going into Boston, because apparently God hates Boston. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, God doesn't want me to go to Boston because I've, I've been booked to go there three times over a period of about 15 years. And every time I've not been able to get into the place because the airport's been shut down because of, of snow or frost. So I've never been, even though even though I've tried. God's just sitting up there going like, it's pronounced Chowder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Boston, yeah, not, not a city that I've, I've been, but a place I'd love to go. Indeed. Uh, but, yeah, and from what I understand... We could talk about Boston, talk about Boston all, all day. Oh, yeah, we had a guest from Boston a few weeks ago who got snowed in and was sick. Oh, I see. Right, right. <laughs> so he had double fun with winter. Yes. All right, so temperature aside, can you give us some background information on Tantalus? Yeah, well, firstly, it's pronounced Tantalus. Oh, yeah, okay, Tantalus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I've been how that's been pronounced for 20 years. Yeah, 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 we just figured it out. So, no, we, we have been around for 20 years. We're one of the, the longest established game developers in Australia. Uh, we've had a very diverse history. You know, we've worked on a whole bunch of different platforms, a whole range of genres. Uh, we started off doing conversions. So the first few years of the company's existence, we well, our first game was on SNES, it was Stargate, and then we did a, a bunch of stuff on Saturn, uh, bringing games from PC uh, and in some instances from PlayStation onto the Saturn. So we did the Wipeout games, Max TT, House of the Dead, Area 51. You know, games that uh, uh, were pretty high profile uh, back in those days. And in the case of a couple of those I mentioned, uh, games that came from coin-up boxes or arcade boxes originally. Uh, we then moved into original development. And since then, it's, it's been a mix, actually, of well, licensed stuff. So, you know, we've done SpongeBob games, Jimmy Neutron games, a lot of stuff with uh, Pixar and Disney and, and Warner Brothers and so on. Uh, Still some ports. We did Unreal 2 on Xbox, which was a fairly high-profile port for us. Uh, and we do original stuff too, so games where you know we come up with the, uh, the whole concept and, 
in some instances, try to commercialize it ourselves. So we're kind of jack of all trades type of developer. And, and from our perspective, we really had to be to be able to survive and in some instances thrive uh, for as long as we have. Right. And now, do you have anyone currently working at uh, Tantalus that uh, has been through all 20 years? We don't. We, look, I, I didn't found the company. I'm far too, far too young for that. Uh, but the founders, or, or two of them at least, have remained friends of the company. And in the case of Andrew Bailey, he, he did work here up until uh, quite recently, up until a few years ago. Uh, but our, our longest serving employee, I think, has been here for about 16 years. We've got a, a few guys who are in the sort of 15 plus club. So there's a, a lot of um, links to our, our history. And certainly in terms of our technology, it seems strange to say that we still have tools or tech that have been there since the beginning. But the spine, uh, you know, in a lot of instances in terms of our tool set uh, remains and it's been heavily modified and improved. But there's some stuff that we still do in a, in a kind of similar way uh, now to then. Right. And so how did you come aboard uh, Tantalus? Yes. Yeah, so I was working as the director of development at another Australian studio called Ratbag in Adelaide. Ratbag did a game called Powerslide on PC, which was pretty popular back in the late 90s. Uh, and we made uh, a bunch of dirt racing games, so like Saturday night racing games, uh, one called Dirt Track Racing, another sprint car game, a game called Leadfoot. Uh, I left there after a couple of years and in, in a, a fairly kind of brazen act as a, a 24-year-old, I, I walked into Tantalus and I said to the guys who owned the company, I said, look, you guys should make me your CEO and give me a chunk of the company and, you know, I'll... Uh, I'll turn this business around and you know, I'll turn this into a great success. And I, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking at the, at the time, to be honest, but it was one of those gambles in life that, that really paid off. And as it happened, Tantalus needed someone with a bit more business acumen, I guess, or someone who was prepared to get out there and put the deals together. Uh, and that was me. So I joined and eventually I, I bought the rest of the company from those founding shareholders. Uh, and... Here we are today with uh, Tantalus as, as my company. There have been some other kind of ebbs and flows along the way. I sold a bit of it to a private equity company uh, back in 2007 and subsequently bought that back, uh, that share back from them. Uh, so, yes, in 20 years, there have been lots of uh, twists and turns uh, through the journey. Right, and I read through your Gamma Sutra post, and apparently uh, hmm. one of the biggest was the game South Park Rally. I'm sure you guys all uh, all still have that game, still kind of come back to it from time to time. <laughs> I, never, I didn't know that South Park game. I had the uh, first-person shooter. Okay. That was enough for me to swear off South Park games. Yeah, yeah, you're a wise man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so so that happened before before my time at Tantalus, but I guess it was, it's a real kind of story from the bad old days of, of video games. The, the publisher was acclaim. Uh, they gave us seven months to develop it on something like five platforms, lots of changes, lots of feature creep, uh, and the guys here really, uh, you know, busted their balls on this thing, like worked, worked, uh, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks to, to get it done. And surprise, surprise, the end result was, was disappointing uh, because, um, you know, the budget wasn't there, the time frame wasn't there, all that, uh, all that stuff. So it certainly wasn't a, a high watermark in the history of our company. But ultimately, you know, I know some of the guys that worked on it were, were pretty proud that they were able to achieve even that given the constraints and the pressures that they had. The lesson, as always, is a claim ruins everything. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, also, also, not everything has to be a cart racer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, it's, it's funny. We've, we've outlasted, we've, we've certainly outlasted a claim. We've outlasted um, maybe eight or ten of the publishers that we've worked with over the years. Of course, we had a, a great relationship with THQ. We really miss those guys. We, we made eight or nine titles with them, uh, licensed titles. We did the Cars games on handheld, SpongeBob games, mm -hmm. so on. Um, may they rest in peace. 
Indeed. And that brings, uh, brings up a good question. Now, what's it like working on licensed titles? Or at least, what was it like working on, like, Game Boy Advance and the DS and the PlayStation 2 and the Wii? Yeah. yeah, well, look, we, I mean, it's part of our DNA. So we've, we've always worked with big licenses, and, and we love it. You know, there's, there's something cool about uh, getting a movie script, um, you know, in some instances years before the film comes out or while it's still in development even, and being a part of that process and being able to participate in building that, that property. So sometimes it's better than others. You know, we had a great experience working with, Cars, because Cars is such a great property. You know, we love the the films, and to be able to extend that universe, you know, extend that franchise into the interactive space was genuinely a thrill. Uh, and then you have bad experiences. So we made a game called Guardians of Gahul, the Legend of the Legend of the Guardians. Remember that game, Warner Brothers film about owls uh, a few years ago? Oh, that's the... Yeah, I was going to say, I, I recall that there being a movie about owls with yeah, like yeah. serious mythology-style stuff going on in it, but right. it's kind of hard right. to take seriously because it's owls. So we did that on DS, and we also did a game called Polar Express on the GBA. You remember Polar Express? Kind of Tom Hanks, uh, uh, CG, Uncanny Valley. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer to remember the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I know it was people, a thing. People uh, like people say they love this movie. I'm just like, really? Like, yeah. I just find it fucking creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So so we look. Uh, and we did we did what we could on both those games. And you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here uh, slamming them because we had you know in the case of the Guardians game we had something like 15 people who spent you know 10 11 months of their life making that game and we're proud of their achievements. However, uh, sometimes uh, you have more fun uh, than at other times and obviously you're prouder of the result in some instances than in others. Mm. Is that a vague enough answer to that question? <laughs> or a, a diplomatic enough answer to that question, maybe? Isn't it certainly, it's certainly understandable. You can't work magic with everything that you're given. Uh, right, exactly. In terms exactly. of source material. You know, it, yeah. it some things, you know what? Some things are just it's just it's just really hard to make some things into video games. So Polar Express is a is a movie or a, or a story about a kid on a train. So you say, okay, well, how do I how do I take that story and turn it into you know five, six, ten hours of gameplay? It's difficult. Well, you know, so. this, this is a question that is, I, I pitched a cart racer, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. This is a question that has dogged uh, film adaptations since like the NES days. Like uh, Total Recall g comes out as a uh, you know fairly run-of-the-mill platform run-and-gun uh, game. Mm. That that's also total dog shit because acclaim. But you know, or you have Home Improvement being turned into a platformer because that's just what you kind of do with video games. Mm, you know, yeah. at, at best, with some of these properties, you get a generic game with a film license attached to it, or the television license, or the book, or whatever. Mm. You know, simply because there's nothing else you can do with it. Yeah, and of course, back in back in the day, not that long ago, 10, 15 years ago, uh, it was a license to print money because the kids went to the movie and then they wanted to buy the game because they all had a PlayStation 2 or a GBA. And the parents would, would say, okay, well, you know, he likes Toy Story, so let's let's go and buy the, the Toy Story game. And, and, and the likes of THQ and Acclaim made a lot of money. Uh, but that business died. You know, it doesn't exist anymore. So there are fewer and fewer licensed titles today. And, and I suppose... Those that do make it through tend to be better than than they were then, and there's still some some uh, awful stuff that that gets made. But uh, yeah, there's less of it. Well, indeed, like licensed titles are never going away, going away. Like uh, SpongeBob Hero Pants just got a video game release. Oh, really? Wow! Wow! Yeah, it's okay. like, uh, you know, I think like the Xbox and the PlayStation and like the 3DS. So. Mm -hmm. I think Activision, Activision picked that up, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So they still come out, but as you pointed out, something happened during the last generation of consoles. Uh, the business just dried up. Yeah. 
and nobody's entirely sure why. There are some reasons, like the rise of mobile, but that doesn't explain all of it. Well, it kind of ate itself in a sense too, in that the you know the, the last of those games that we made was uh, Mega Mind. I think that's what it was called. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Will Ferrell movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a situation where, you know, it's, it's, it's DreamWorks, I think. It's a big, uh, big animated property. But the expectation on the publisher that they pay, you know, X million dollars, whatever it is, for the rights to that license, the publisher was THQ, and, and they found themselves presumably in a position where, they just couldn't make that money back. You know, the, the amount that they've invested in the license and in the cost of development and in marketing, uh, unless the film's a huge hit, you know, that the dog's just not going to hunt. You know, so that's what started to happen more and more, I think, with uh, with those sorts of licenses. So we're now in a situation where it's only the really, really big licenses that get that uh, that get that treatment so so that happened but the other thing that happens as you allude to is is mobile and i think that had a really profound effect on what well, profound effect on the games business across the board but particularly on, on that demographic you know the sorts of people that would have played those games they're now playing games for free and you know hopefully making some purchases uh while they're playing and, and watching the occasional ad uh they're not sitting to the same extent in front of a, a home console or a, on, a, on a Nintendo handheld. This is true. This is very true. And, you know, you, you still get the licensed games on the mobile, but, you know, the, once again, they're, you know, they're dressed up as your, your free-to-play match three or something like that. Yeah. Things yeah. change the more they stay the same. But, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, kids these days are being raised more and more on uh, mobile phones and tablets. I mean, you know, the 3DS, you know, isn't as dead as some people say it is, but, you know, we're not, unless Nintendo comes up with something profound again, we're never going to see uh, a handheld cell like the DS did. Yeah, I think that's, uh, well, if you, if you exclude, yes, mobiles from that, from that handheld analysis, I think that's probably right. You know, the, the, the 3DS is, is doing fine. It's not doing as well as the DS, but the DS, I guess, like the GBA, before it was something of a phenomenon, well, uh, and yes, the 3DS has got has got a way to go, and it's probably insurmountable that uh, that climb to those those DS heights. Yeah, uh, especially when it comes to the West, like yeah, Western development on on like the 3DS and the Vita has been in sharp decline. You know, like Japanese development's still there, but that's because you know like the, those handhelds are still popular. Yeah. But, yeah. So, my ultimate question is, how have you transitioned, transformed, and adapted to this uh, really profound change in the marketplace? Well, not very well, I think is the answer to that, to that question. I mean, we, we've kind of hung in there, I, I guess, in that kind of old school business where we're still working with big publishers. We're still doing, you know, what we call work for hire or fee-for-service work where a publisher comes to us and they say, well, there's this film coming out, we want a game based on it, or, um, you know, in the case of Deus Ex Human Revolution, which we, we made on the Wii U, mm-hmm. uh, Square, Idos say, well, we already made this game, you know, on, on these other platforms, can you, can you uh, re-render it or do, do a new version of it for Wii U? And those deals are great because you know how much money you're going to get, you negotiate that with the publisher up front, they pay you in installments, and hopefully you make a bit of money along the way. And if the game sells well, you um, you get a royalty. So we still do a lot of that stuff. And the two big projects that we've got on at the moment are both from that world. So in terms of our transition to the new world, or the world of mobile, uh, we're trying, uh, and we've been trying, well, for the last seven or eight years, with with some success. You know, we we did uh, need the speed shift on iOS. That was a, a straight right title, the first straight right title. Uh, we've got a game called Pony Trails uh, as a, a Tantalus label title, which has been downloaded, you know, four million times. Uh, we've got a very loyal fan base, group of people who, who play that game every day, and it does all right, you know. Uh, it's not a, a breakout hit, despite having 
quite a wide reach, but um, yeah, it's, um, uh, it, it does okay. So we're trying with that. We've got another mobile title called Bonanza, which is coming out uh, later this year, and, and two or three more things in the works there too. And these are all properties that we created and that we uh, uh, that we own. So we haven't had that real kind of breakout success on mobile, but we're we're, we're doing what we can. Hmm. And okay, uh, rewinding a bit, how did the label straight right come about? Yeah, so look, we, you know, we've had Tantalus since 1994, and from my perspective as the owner of the business, I suppose I felt that Tantalus was, was really a label that had become associated with, with casual games, with kids' games, and with, um, with licensed games, so very much the, uh, the old-school business. And I don't know, I wanted to do something different, have some fun, build a, a brand that was a little edgier and that perhaps was focusing more on core titles and, and in my own mind at the time I thought okay well maybe more more digital uh, digitally distributed titles so let's start this new thing called straight right and the two labels can kind of sit along one another uh, as sister labels uh, and the stuff that's a bit edgier so you know we did Mass Effect 3 on Wii U uh, as an example, that can go to straight right, and the, the Pony Trails and uh, Funky Barn, our other Wii launch title, uh, they can be Tantalus games. So, yeah, yeah that's that's the, the, the fairly simple intention of developing the straight right label. Okay, I, I get it. It's kind of like Touchstone and Disney. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> like the the M-rated titles go under straight right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Well, uh, tell us about Mass Effect 3 on the Wii U. Was this a, was this a hard project to do? or? Yeah. yeah, look, it was. I mean, it was a launch title on Wii U. So, look, the, the Wii U, it's great hardware to work with, uh, pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, but whenever you're doing something for launch, you run into a bunch of challenges, especially with a, a very complicated game like Mass Effect 3. So... The big challenge for us in that game was multiplayer, getting that getting that working and getting it working ready for, for launch. Um, and then, you know, just getting our head generally around the gamepad and a new modus operandi for development. But we got it done, and, and we're really happy with the result. I mean, it's, it's Mass Effect. I think it's a game that, when you look at it, when you think about it, is very, very well suited to the gamepad. I mean, just by virtue of taking the power wheel off the screen and putting it on the gamepad by making the maps uh, interactive on the gamepad. I mean, th these are two features that, to my mind, make uh, our version of, of Mass Effect 3 on Wii U the, the definitive version. You know, you can play it faster. It's more fun to play on the Wii U than it is, I think, on um, PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360. And we put a, a bunch of other features into it as well, but those two core features alone, I think, make it, uh, make it stand out. And, you know, it's terrific to work with a group like Bioware to see the way they do things, the, the quality at every stage. Uh, that was inspiring, and that was um, that was a thrill too. Right. It's just a shame what EA kind of you know didn't really know how to promote the game. I mean, I know they cited like the the low Wii U install base, but here's a hint: Mass Effect trilogy kind of would have been helpful for an audience that's never played a Mass Effect game. Well, the, so, so here's the thing. I mean, obviously the Wii U wasn't doing well. You know? mm -hmm. So it launched, it came slow out of the gate. I mean, our game was number one on Metacritic for quite a while. So it wasn't like we were getting bad reviews. Uh, people, people loved it. Um, but, yeah, I suppose the, the, the penetration uh, of the, the hardware just wasn't there. I mean, look, you, you could play Mass Effect 3 without having played... You could, you could play Mass Effect 3 on Wii U without having played... Mass Effect 1 or 2, and I'm sure a lot of people did. You know, there was an interactive story, a comic book thing at the start of the game that, that enabled you to make choices, got you up to the point where you would have been in, uh, in Mass Effect 3. Mm -hmm. um, look, you know, I think EA would say that the, the relative failure, I suppose, of the game was more down to uh, the failure at that point of the Wii U hardware rather than the quality of the game or rather than their uh, their efforts to promote it. But, yeah, look, it's been a tough road. It was a tough road on Deus Ex Human <laughs> Revolution on Wii U 2 in terms of, in terms of sales. All right. 
Well, now, just to clarify, did you do only the Wii U version of uh, Director's Cut? <laughs> yeah, but of course, a lot of the stuff that we did was uh, incorporated into into other versions. Uh, but yes, we just did the Wii U, the Wii U version. Right, and, and uh, like from what I understand, like the game was supposed to uh, Human Revolution Director's Cut was supposed to come out in the spring of. Tw- uh, 2013, I believe, got delayed to the fall so they could have, like, the Xbox and the PlayStation and the PC versions alongside it. You know, unfortunately, the problem with that was the Wii U version ended up being the most expensive version. Yeah, right. And, of course, I can't control that as the developer. We just did the best we could with the time that we had. In that case, it was a Catch-22 situation because, you know, the Wii U had never gotten Deus Ex. The other platforms had. So, you know, what do you do with the people who have already bought this game? You know, yeah, there was yeah. no answer with, with that one. It's just it's, an- it's interesting. I remember, I think when it was maybe like the week our game came out, or, or a couple of weeks before, you could buy Human Revolution on Steam for like four bucks or something. And I'm like, wow, it's it's a tough sell comparing what is like a sixty or seventy bucks on the Wii U with um, with four bucks on uh, on Steam. That wasn't for the director's cut. That was for the for the original. But uh, yeah, price price disparity is certainly a factor. That's How does sure. it make you feel any better? Uh, Human Revolution on the Wii U seems to be the definitive version, you know, outside of like the PC. <laughs> oh look, I think I think it's the definitive version across the board, and, and again, because of the gamepad. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in Mass Effect and, and Deus Ex, we've got two games that, you know, I think the second screen, it adds a great a great deal, you know, lets you move through the game faster, uh, you know, you can hack on the gamepad, all of Jensen's toolkits there on the gamepad in, in Deus Ex Human Revolution. So, yeah, you know, I think it's a better game on the Wii U than uh, the, even on the PC, but I'm biased, of course. Well, I tend to be biased towards the PC versions because you have the highest resolutions, modding, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But, no. but well, another question I'm trying did you set like did you set out to have straight right do Wii U titles, or just how things worked out so far? Yeah, good question. I mean, it, it it really it really is just how things worked out. I mean, the first game we did as straight right was Need for Speed on on iOS. So the first game first straight right title was a mobile game. But then we you know we were approached by Bioware uh, to do Mass Effect three on Wii U and we said sure. You know, so in this business a lot of what happens is I go out and kind of shake the trees and, and look for opportunities, you know, look for look for deals. And very rarely uh, we get approached uh, and even more rarely it's by companies of the caliber of Bioware. So when they said, do you want to do it? We said, um, hell yeah. And, uh, and so our, our relationship with the Wii U was, uh, was formed. And then the, the Deus Ex story is even stranger. You know, I was, I was drunk at GDC one year and, and showing off uh, some early work in progress on Mass Effect 3. I had a video. Uh, I was showing Mark Rain from Epic. I had a video on my, on my phone of Mass Effect 3. And, and unbeknownst to me, there was a, a guy kind of looking over my shoulder. It was the guy that ran the studio uh, in Montreal for, for IDOS. And he emailed me a couple of weeks later and said, I, I saw the video that you showed, Mark, uh, for what you're doing for Mass Effect. You know, we've, got, we've got a property that we think could be a fit for Wii U. And as soon as he said that, I, I knew that he was, he was talking about um, Deus Ex. And, and that's how the deal for that game came about, just purely through, through uh, that serendipity. Yeah. So video games, it's an easy business. You, know, you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And, and often, often that place is a, is a bar in San Francisco and the time is about 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're, we're getting kind of low on time here, so just a couple more questions. Hmm. All right, so uh, a Mr. Valtor on Twitter sent in this question. Whatever happened to Tantalus Media's AAA third-party Wii U port that was announced around this time last year? Yeah, so he's, this fellow, I assume fellow, very, very studious investigator, we, we didn't formally announce a title, but I think uh, smart people are able to look at job boards these days, aren't they, and see, see mm-hmm. what the company hiring. Uh, so as it turns out, yes, we are developing, uh, as described, was it a, a AAA 
triple A title for a top tier publisher. Yeah, uh, yeah AAA third party Wii U ports. Okay, yeah, we're doing that. Okay. Uh, it hasn't been announced, <laughs> but it will be. It will be soon. And 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 can I just further add to the the mystique and say that it's um, it's big. It's the biggest thing we've ever done. <laughs> and it'll come out this year, and I hope um, it won't disappoint. Okay, and uh, and I saw on your um, on your uh, Gamma Sutra post that you're also doing something for the uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Yeah, so this is an interesting one, and, and again, it's it's so boring. I can't I can't talk about it. Sorry, but uh, we we are doing another port, uh, and I can say that it's from a Wii U title. Uh, so we're porting from Wii U to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, and that's a game that will come out this year uh, as well. So there are two big projects, and we have a couple more things that we're doing on mobile at the moment as well here in here in our studio. Interesting and curious. Well, yeah. it's like, well, hopefully you'll uh, come back on the program once these projects are announced or, you know, close to release love and tell us all about it. Yeah, I'd love to. It'd be a pleasure. All right. Uh, so, well, uh, I'd like to thank you for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us this week. And we're certainly looking forward to having you back on, in the future. Absolutely. Good to talk to you guys. Neat. So, uh, once again, that's Tom Crago of Tantalus Software and Straight Right. Uh, they've done a lot of games. You've probably played one or two or maybe 12 of them over the course of 20 years. You know, it, 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 like, you know they, they've done so many games, I, I seriously cannot list them in this space. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. All right. I, and this is the... Uh, this is the point where we usually have the transitional music, but we don't have that this week. You know, insert, yeah, yeah. insert comedic noises here, and let me just do this. All right, so next section is 6GP33. So, like I said, we're trying this... We're, we're trying this, uh, this readout thing to give the listeners at home a chance. Or, that's the idea. Not sure if it's going to take, but we'll see. And sticky codes. All right. Uh, people in the chat room, heads up. Volley's away. All right. First, uh, first code. All right. First code's in the chat room. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, who, uh, first, uh, whoever grabs it first gets it. So, For Nilo on Steam. Yeah. I guess you so, can make that clear. <laughs> so, yeah, go to Steam, open up... Uh, oh, yeah, for, okay. So for those who don't know how to redeem codes on Steam, you go to Games, activate a product on Steam, uh, hit the next prompt, I agree. Then you put the code into the... Uh, into the area, hit next, and it'll redeem it. Yeah. All right, so moving on. Um, how Laboratories? Kirby. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, not just Kirby, and that's <clears throat> part of the reason why we're talking about them. All right, yeah. Well, the reason we're talking about how Labs this week is because they just turned 35 this past Saturday. Yeah, Owl Labs has been around for a long time. They're, you know, they're as old as certain people on this show. And older than certain other ones. Yes. And they have, and they have a whole history that people probably have no idea about because. You know, the first thing when you think of of Hal Labs is either well, most likely Kirby, but they powered some of Nintendo's other franchises. You know, Earthbound they've been a co-developer on, and Smash Brothers they they were the development studio behind the first two Super Smash Brothers games, and they still do work on Smash Brothers. It's just Smash Brothers is kind of 
it's hopped from studio to studio ever since Sakurai left Hal. That's kind of the that's kind of the change there. All right, uh, yeah. Uh, before I go on, uh, the team here. Do you have? What do you want to say about how? Um, I think it's uh, they're another one of those companies. I mean, there there are other ones, but they're another ones where they've done a surprising number of franchises. Not all of which you'd assume were all done by the same people that have pretty good uh, reputations. And some of them, I mean, how one of their, a couple of theirs are older, and ha- like, for example, Adventures of Lolo or Eggerland hasn't really seen anything recently, but that would actually be a good puzzle game to update even, because it has a pretty solid play style. But then they have, like, Kirby, and they did the Earthbound games, and Smash Brothers, which are all very solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Um... Well, Ogre, do you have anything to say about uh, how? I'm glad that I watched 2001 at Space Odyssey before we had this discussion because it made their name a whole lot more interesting to find out. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, I guess we should talk about the name. Like, the, the name for HAL Labs is, there's actually two stories. It's like, it, and it's connected to 2001. Now, some sources say it's from the HAL 9000, or, and some other sources say it's from the idea that gave us the HAL 9000. See, the thing, okay, the HAL, 9, HAL is named because each letter is above IBM. You know, I over A, H over I, A over B, and L over N. And this is, the, this is apparently the thinking that gave us both the HAL 9000 and HAL Laboratories. So it kind of doesn't matter which story is true because it's really six of one, half a dozen of the other. And another thing in the early days of HAL is they did games for multiple uh, platforms. They did not start out as a Nintendo developer. You You know, in 1980, the, you know, Nintendo was still doing arcade games. So, yeah, so I would ask people if they knew where Hal got their start, but they probably don't. So I'll answer. They got <laughs> kind of confused us. Yeah, because they got their start on early computer platforms of the day. Primarily, they were one of the, they were one of the devs that were forged in the MSX. The MSX is a... Uh, was a popular uh, computer format in Japan and parts of Europe. uh, We never... I'm not sure if we ever saw it over here. I think the MSX, we didn't. It's like... I think the Wikipedia thing I saw said we saw a variation of it, but wasn't actually the MSX. Right. And they also, you know, they also did games on the Commodore 64 and other early, other early um, computer systems, the VIC-20, and I could go on and on. Uh, but uh, their most notable title from this from this age, uh, you might be familiar with, and indeed you can. It's one of the few titles from that era you can still experience in the modern age, sort of. And that's the Eggerland franchise. Or as we know it, the Adventures of Lolo. Now, and, you know, since the Eggerland, the Eggerland games came out both in Europe and in uh, Japan, but we didn't see them until we got these compilation games called the Adventures of Lolo. Like, it, this is its own sorted history that we could actually fashion its own episode around. But, you know, for those who don't know, Eggerland Lolo is, is, is a series of rather unique puzzle games where... Uh, uh, Galax, help me out with the, describing this. Okay, well, you're a little blue ball, usually. Sometimes you're a different colored ball. 
and you hit enemies to encase them in eggs, and then you kick the eggs around to solve puzzles without getting bitten by snakes, turned into stone by Medusa heads, or in other, wor- in other ways, dot die. That's what the gameplay is like. Right. It's uh, um, pretty unique, but it's a lot of fun. It is, and it's really challenging, too. Oh. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of really detailed, uh, difficult timing, in uh, especially later on in the game, usually. Because obviously it gets more de- difficult as it goes. And, you know, and the overall goal, at least in the first game, is to rescue your girlfriend from the evil uh, king. Evil. Yeah. At least for the first two. The third one actually takes a, actually like gives it a Super Mario World over, or a Super Mario Bros. 3 overworld, and you can actually play as Lala. Yeah. Yeah, and for those who don't know, like Kirby enemies, Low, 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 and La 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 are based off of these two. Yeah. But Hal also did other games in those uh, days, and they even had their own North American publishing branch. And they did two, well. They did two types of games. They brought they did arcade conversions, like they did the NES version of, say, Millipede and uh, Defender Two or Stargate. Nothing to do with the movie that came out much later, like, Star, like the Stargate Defender Two predates that by a good. Jeez, 10, 15 years. But they also did some you know, cult classics that I really wish people could experience in this day and age. But Nintendo hasn't really done the best job of showcasing HAL Labs' other games. Like, you know, like on the Virtual Console, you can get like the first Adventure of Lolo on both the Wii unlike the, the Wii and the Wii U Virtual Console, and you can get Adventures of Lolo 2 on the Wii Virtual Console, Adventures of Lolo 3 still is not available. And games like Kabuki Quantum Fighter are not avi- available. If you don't know what this is, go to YouTube and look up some footage. Because it, it is a thing. MS- yes. It breaks MSPs from Wonder Japan meter. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those games you have to see to believe and one day we're going to strap down Naka and make him play it <laughs> yeah. but until that time it's like I mean just from the name alone okay you're playing like this kabuki fighter who attacks with his hair and you're trapped in cyberspace what's not to like yeah and it's a pretty good game too you know, or Air Fortress. You know, this is a combination. This, this is a combination of a few types of shmups. Uh, you know, like horizontal and you know, and like you 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 like the actual shmup stage. You go and you fly. You know, it's kind of hard to describe some of these games. You know, so if you're having problems, just go look for this stuff on YouTube. You know, or stuff like Arcana on the um, Super NES. You know, an early, like, card-based RPG, I believe. You know, and like I said, I could go on and on and on with, with some of their early stuff. But, uh, but, and I'm sure, okay, so, this leads us to, to a central question. What happened? What, how did how Laboratories going, go from an independent publisher to, you know, a Nintendo second party. And this is something I this is something I didn't learn until I read the Kotaku retrospective a few days ago. So how Labs pitched a, pitched a project to Nintendo like 1984-1985 and instead of working on a game for Nintendo, Nintendo put them on a project. As it turns out, how Labs first Nintendo developed game is NES Pinball. Now, yeah, yeah, the, the you know the one with uh, Mario with the girder and trying to get Pauline. Oh. Like it's an NES remix, people. Look it up. <laughs> now, it, it's kind of hard to describe old games when your audience is super young. 
But anyway, so what happened is in the, about 1992, they ran into some problems. They ran into, like, they overexpanded. Some games that they put out didn't sell as well as they did. And they basically had to go to Nintendo and say, you know, can you give us some money? And they said yes on the condition that, you know, they kind of, you know, Nintendo becomes their exclusive licensor. Although that apparently took a few years because they still managed to, to do outside projects up until about 1996. Fun fact, their last game not under the Nintendo banner was the Super NES conversion of SimCity 2000. And, and so the other, the other big solidifying moment was, of course, Kirby. Now, before I go on, uh, you know, do you guys want to say a few words about Kirby? Um, Kirby has got an amazing year. <laughs> Sorry, that was kind my of mom, everybody else. Oh my. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. But, no, Petty, fan, Petty fan, you can go first. You have shitty internet. <laughs> my mom stole my copy of Kirby Triple Deluxe. <laughs> Uh, I, Kirby Triple Deluxe is kind of one of the... Uh, well, so I, I guess on the subject of Kirby, you know, these days you can kind of split it into two um, sections. You've got the Dreamland Kirbys, and you've got the spin-off Kirbys. Like, okay, uh, you know, Kirby Return to Dreamland, that's like an official Kirby game an official mainline Kirby game. Kirby Triple Deluxe is a mainline Kirby game. Whereas... Tilt and Tumble, not so much. Well, that's a bit easier to discern, but uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn is considered to be a spin-off game. Uh, Kirby, uh, most recent one, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, is considered to be a spin-off game. It, it, it seems to have to do with the mechanics and who developed it. I don't know, there seems to be a weird criteria. So does that mean we're going to get, like, a Kirby timeline here soon? Yeah, you know... Uh, (laughs) First off, shut up, Ogre, because you know they'll fucking do that. I am a little bit uncomfortable with what that would probably entail, since Kirby tends to fight... uh, I mean, like, the games start out usually happy-go-lucky, but the final boss is usually somewhat child-friendly eldritch horror, so... Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I, spoilers, it turns out the whole Kirby timeline is a fever dream. <laughs> it's like, that explains a whole fuck ton of shit. Or alternately, it's the story of how Kirby is actually the spawn of, like, not Cthulhu, but Cthulhu's little cute brother. And, yeah. He's Something like that. I would not be shocked. Yeah. And, yeah. And though, unfortunately, in the modern age, uh, Halab seems to be doing, well, just Kirby. You know, but like... Yeah, they haven't made a non-Kirby game worth mentioning in a while. Yeah, like... And, and they seem to do a lot of fran- just the franchise work in general. Like, they've done a lot of Pokemon games. You know, like, like they did... You know, outside of you know the, the I, I don't know like the, the the three highest profile franchises for Nintendo, they've also worked on a lot of Pokemon. Games. A lot of the Pokemon games you might have played, like Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Ranger. You know, so they've been a they've been a very prolific developer, but they they don't seem to be allowed out of their creativity cage like, say, Game Freak is. Now, for those who don't know, Game Freak, uh, primary Pokemon developer, has actually done a few non-Pokemon games in the past 10 years. Uh, I really recommend looking up Grilldozer for the Game Boy Advance. Criminally underrated game. One of the best Game Boy Advance games, honestly. And uh, more recently, the 2013 title, Hermano Knight, which is a rhythm-based platform. You know, it's like, I kind of want to see how labs, you know, do something like that. I mean, obviously, they have a lot of creativity within the bounds of Kirby. 
But it's also, I want to see what they can do outside of Kirby. Outside of Kirby is a temporary condition for the entire universe. (laughs) I suppose so. But, you know, anyway, so we're getting low on time on this. So any final words on Kirby? Um, Go play the game, Joe. And uh, how labs in general? Um, I like them. They're great. They yeah, did Super Smash Brothers. Considering the quality of their other stuff, it would be nice to see them do other stuff more because they have a bunch of stuff that they've done that is really quite good. So, yeah. Yeah, Considering Kirby's really fun, they could probably do another game, and, and I guess in that kind of line of thought, but it still make it entertaining in its own little thing. Mm. Yeah, and... And yeah, it's like hopefully Hal Labs will be with us for another 35 years. Uh, I don't think they did Epic Yarn, did they? No, that was Good Feel. Yeah, that's what I thought. They, they might have had oversight on it as the you know like overall lore master of Kirby, but they didn't develop it. There's quite a few Kirby games they didn't develop. Like uh, Squeak Squad on the DS was developed by uh, a company called Flagship, who... They also did a lot of the portable Zelda titles. But that's a discussion for another day. You know. And, yeah. Anyway, so that's about it for this week. Except for one final thing. Uh, F35DL. So if you've been listening throughout the entire broadcast, you should have the complete code. You know, assuming I didn't screw up uh, and list one code numbers for the other. Like I said, this is kind of a new thing where... We're trying to test it out. It doesn't work. We'll do, in a, we'll do something else next week. They sounded pretty different, so I'm pretty sure you got it right, unless it's the wrong order. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, next week... In, okay, so next week, our, our Night Dive Studio Code uh, giveaway is going to be for the classic uh, point-and-click adventure game Harvester. Now, uh, you know... Really underrated platform, uh, really underrated adventure game. Really scary. Like once again, I recommend going. Uh, well, I kind of recommend going to YouTube, but it's an adventure game, and you know you can kind of spoil the entire experience with adventure games these days. You know, it, it's kind of um, it's just kind of the territory of the modern age. But so look up a trailer on YouTube. Yeah, or something like that. Uh, you know, just try not to spoil the game for yourselves. You, you owe it to yourselves not to do that. But also, next week we should have one David Proctor of 13 a.m. game. I said should. should. Yeah, well, I say should because I think he's going to PAX East. Damn you, Boston. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he seemed to be confused about how we operated in general. Like, like he, he emailed me last week and asked where, where we were located. So where our offices are. Um, yeah. I'm in my room at my house. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty much... Is that office enough, I guess? Yeah, that's pretty much all our offices. Now, we do this all over the internet. Oh, it's like, we don't... Basically, we don't need an office, nor can we really afford one right now. So we are the office. Well, it's, well, it's more... L'office, c'est moi. Well, it's like... C'est nous. It, it would be quite the undertaking to, get, to not only get an office, but, you know, we'd have to get everyone centrally located. You know, we should have a painting in our offices called This Is Not An Office. Everybody should come to Maine and live with me. Then there'd be stuff happening here. Yeah. No. Fuck Maine. I know. I know what Stephen King's up to up there. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> all the way up there, eh? What? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, 13 AM Games is currently making a Wii U eShop title called Runbo. It's a it's a very ambitious game, as it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, as it's kind of a I don't know. It looks like an endless runner, but with like it's got nine player local multiplayer. 
which is kind of insane, really. Well, yeah. It, it is literally as much as the Wii U can physically do, so. Right. It's taking advantage of all the controller inputs. Like, if you have a GameCube adapter, you have another game that will work with it. Yeah. Oh, thank God. You can finally justify that purchase. <laughs> justify nothing? I couldn't find one. Well, apparently there's... Oh, thank God. You finally have a reason to get one. Well, anyway, until next week, all I can do is wish you good gaming. And once again, no music, so... Oh, um, music. Wait, wait, Penny Fan, push buttons on your phone and see if we can hear them. Yeah, so we get the scram ending. All right, bye.